0: Production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.
1: Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Megan O'Brien, president of the Cuyahoga Community College Foundation and a proud City Club member. I am pleased to introduce today's forum a conversation on the state of manufacturing in Ohio. Producing over $100 billion of our gross domestic product and employing more than 700,000 people, Ohio's manufacturing sector is an essential driver of our economy and our society. So how is the Ohio manufacturing sector actually doing? Has the industry been able to keep up with technology? Do our manufacturing companies have the momentum they need to continue growing their companies and workforces in 2020 and beyond? Today, we'll find out. The 2020 Ohio Manufacturing Survey conducted by the Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network, commonly known as MAGNET, and the Ohio Manufacturing Extension Partnership has the answers, trends, and insights that will deeply impact Cleveland and all of Ohio. The format of today's forum is a little different. First, we'll hear the survey results from Magnet president and CEO, Dr. Ethan Karp. Then, Ideastream senior host and producer Rick Jackson will talk with local manufacturing CEOs as they respond to the report. And then finally, we'll have our traditional City Club Q&A format. So let's begin. Dr. Karp joined Magnet in 2013 as vice president and took over as president and CEO two years later. Prior to this role, he served as engagement manager for the global consulting firm McKinsey in Cleveland. Dr. Karp is a trained scientist who spent many years trying to uncover how the brain works while attaining his PhD in chemical biology from Harvard and undergraduate degrees in physics and biochemistry from Miami University. Esteemed guests, members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming President and CEO of Magnet, Dr. Ethan Karp. Thank you. Thank you. Good,
2: afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let me start by showing you two pictures. One, a child eating ice cream. The other, a hurricane. When you look at these two pictures, something very different happens in your brain. The negative image stimulates more electrical activity every single time. Why? Because when it comes to our brains, bad is stronger than good. That's even the title of a famous academic paper written by psychologists from Case. Why is bad so powerful? It's simple, to keep us alive. Our ancestors, the hunter-gatherers who survived, passed on their genes, were the ones who paid attention to threats more than good things. And our brains then became wired that way. Don't get me wrong, this can be very useful. When that tiger's coming at you, A mistake is deadly. But the downside is we overly focus on bad news, the negative, and sometimes we miss the good. That explains why many of us view manufacturing the way we do in Northeast Ohio. We can't let go of the bad. We literally can't see past it. Like the massive job losses in the 1970s. Like that terrible day in 1977 when the Campbell Works Mill closed in Youngstown. In five years, we lost 50,000 jobs. Not something any region wants to be famous for. Even though manufacturing has regained much ground since then, when big hits come, it's catastrophic for communities. Like two years ago, when GM announced it would close the Lordstown plant after 50 years. Hundreds of manufacturing companies have opened here since the 70s but it's the closures we remember. The reality is, though, the good news. Our industry is much different than it was. Not just steel and cars. No more one-smokestack towns where everyone works for the same plant. It's better. It's stronger. We've built a thriving network of thousands of innovative companies do everything from dog toys to x-rays and literally everything in between. The story of today's manufacturing industry is not about loss. It's about opportunity. It's about building the next hundred years. In fact, we stand here today on the cusp of a true manufacturing revolution. One that presents enormous opportunity if we act now together. I believe we can become a global hub for advanced manufacturing in the next decade. We can lead the world in manufacturing infused with cutting edge technologies like collaborative robots, sensors, artificial intelligence. We can be a destination for the best companies and the brightest people, I believe this. But as I look around the room, I can see some eyebrows raising. Somebody thinking, really? But, maybe a little hyperbole in there. Look, I understand the skepticism, I am a skeptic but I also think that that holds us back. A friend of mine calls this Cleveland's Eeyore Complex. (laughs) You remember the gloomy, pessimistic donkey in Winnie the Pooh? The one who keeps saying things like, wish I could, but I can't. (laughs) Today, let's leave Eeyore behind. Give me 15 minutes to convince you that manufacturing is our future, that we can lead the country and maybe even the world. I'm going to make my case using the rule of four. Remember those psychologists who studied the power of bad? Well, they also found out that it takes four good things to overcome one bad thing. So let's start with four powerful facts. One, manufacturing drives half of Northeast Ohio's economy. Half. Two, manufacturing can increase overall prosperity without widening the gap between rich and poor. Three, Ohio is the third largest manufacturing state in our country. And four, the income from every manufacturing job delivers four additional jobs in the community. That's massive. Manufacturing is the foundation of our regional economy, and it's growing again. That is the headline from Magnet's latest manufacturing survey that you can all get a copy of outside, just released today. Sincere thanks to our sponsors, Barnes-Wedling, Bank of America, Allegro Real Estate, Realty Advisors, and to the Ohio Manufacturing and Federal Manufacturing Extension Partnership that helped us reach the nearly 670 manufacturers that I'm going to present the insights from. And so here are four insights on growth we heard directly from those manufacturers. One, manufacturers had another good year in 2019, with more than half reporting that their revenues are up. Two. In 2019, most manufacturers grew their workforces yet again. Three, more growth is coming. 72% expect revenue to go up, and more than 70% expect headcount to go up in 2020. And finally, number four, the vast majority of manufacturing companies, 94%, report they are actively innovating to drive growth. Our manufacturing industry is saying a resounding yes to growth, innovation, and prosperity. But, there's always a but. While the headlines of our survey are positive, when we dive deeper, we also find significant challenges. We have a talent problem. There's an urgent shortage of skilled workers. Our survey found about 8,000 open jobs in Northeast Ohio today, and that's predicted to grow 2x, 3x in the coming years. You can find that information in the report released today from Team Neo that's also outside. Almost 60% of manufacturing companies say that the inability to hire people is holding back their growth today. Next, we have a transformative opportunity, but it's wrapped in a little bit of a problem. Remember that manufacturing revolution I mentioned earlier? It's being driven by a wave of disruptive technologies called Industry 4.0 that is sweeping across the industry. Virtually everything we make and how we make it is changing or going to change. The opportunities are endless. Collaborative robots working side by side with people. Artificial intelligence telling you when your machine is going to break before you would ever know it. The internet of things connecting devices so you can remotely monitor and look at how everything's going on your phone. 3D printing, sensors, big data, the list goes on. Now when some people hear this, they think, that means automation will take people's jobs. No. Our survey found that 85% of local companies are using automation to supercharge productivity rather than replace people. Industry 4.0 technologies have amazing potential to improve productivity and competitiveness. The problem is 90% of manufacturers in this region are small, 100 employees or less. And it's much harder for a small company to both be aware of and then make the investment in what can be expensive new technology. That's why our survey found we are falling behind on Industry 4.0, a big missed opportunity. And finally, we have an innovation problem. The only winning strategy for the future is new. New products, new processes, new services. And even though we found most companies are innovating, it's not big enough, it's not bold enough, and according to our survey, it's not a top priority. These are obviously not small problems, but there are people and companies who are already solving them. Let me share four stories. So first, I want to introduce you to Izabrin Moore, who's right here with us today. Thank you for being here. Izabrin drove a bus for 17 years. She worked hard, but wanted something more. She went to a career fair at a local community college and a brochure caught her eye. It showed a woman Holding an arc welder, doing a job Isabrin never imagined for herself until that moment. She attended Tri-C to become a certified production technician, <laughs> was then hired by DuPont. Isabrin brings home more than twice the salary that she used to. And her career trajectory points straight up. Most importantly. She leaves work every day with a deep sense of pride. I see it in my kid's eyes, she says. That's the real win here. Easebron is the future of manufacturing. Highly skilled, diverse, proud to be making the things that run the world. Next, a great story about a local company is making hand sanitizer part of the Internet of Things. You've probably all heard of Gojo, a family business in Akron that invented Purell hand sanitizer. We also know that batteries and water don't mix particularly well, and having to change them frequently in hand sanitizer dispensers in commercial settings is a big hassle. Gojo also likes it that none of us like when we walk up to them and wave our hands and nothing happens. So they're working on a new solution, a touchless dispenser with a long-range power system. No more batteries, no more wires, and these smart hygiene stations will become part of the internet of things connected to building management systems in businesses, a voice assistance in your homes. It's a great example of using Industry 4.0 technology to transform products, solve customer problems, and drive growth. Now, an incredible story of innovation from Lumitex. President Peters is with us as well. A lighting company in Strongsville. A few years ago, Vedan Katari was a student from Case Western interning at Lumitex. He was asked to brainstorm new applications for the company's phototherapy, an already innovative technology that literally swaddles babies in light to treat jaundice. Vedong discovered that this technology could also be used to treat painful mouth ulcers, a side effect of cancer therapy. Lumitex has now spun this project into a new company called Mureva Phototherapy. And in just a few short years, Vedong has gone from an intern with a great idea to president and CEO of a medical startup. (laughs) Lumitex has expanded from electronics to automotive to medical by incubating innovative projects like this one and turning them into successful businesses. It's a great example of a company that has really figured out how to do innovation well. And finally, story number four, how bold leadership transformed a local family business into a digital pioneer. M7 Technologies began a century ago as a foundry. Through the 90s, its main business was refurbishing rollers for steel mills. But as that industry declined, M7 faced a very uncertain future until Mike Garvey came home from Wall Street to lead his family's business. He bet big on emerging Industry 4.0 technologies. Today, the company boasts state-of-the-art manufacturing and R&D facilities at the cutting edge of combining 3D printing with sensor integration. The company has also built the world's largest 3D printer. So big, you can drive a truck inside of it. Where is the world's largest 3D printer? Fittingly, it's in Youngstown. And one of the first things they printed, a bridge. Literally connecting manufacturing to technology. A bridge from the past into a future where Youngstown is famous for something good. These four stories should make us proud. They absolutely make me proud. Every single day I drive by, as do you, factories. People are quietly making, doing, building amazing things all around us. Great things are already happening. We just need more of them. We need to scale what's working. And here are four ways we can do that. One, we must build the skilled diverse workforce we need to win in the future. This means finding diverse talent in new places. It means creating innovative training and boot camps to help people like Izabrin build great careers. Two, we need to use industry 4.0 technologies to unlock competitive advantage and get ahead. To do this, we need to help manufacturers figure out how to put industry 4.0 technologies to work on the shop floor and in their products, just like Gojo. And we need to create an investment fund to help them do this. Three, we need to constantly and continuously innovate. This means building a thriving innovation ecosystem powered by R&D investment, university research, and a living lab to attract startups. This will inspire and support more small companies to go big on innovation like Lumatex. And four, we must boldly lead our companies and our region to ensure that the future is made right here in Northeast Ohio. We need more company leaders to step up and make big bets and bold decisions like Mike Garvey at M7. And as a region, we need to do the same. We don't need to reinvent this wheel. We need to lock arms, collaborate across existing initiatives to make the systemic changes in transportation, education, incentives, and infrastructure that manufacturers need to build the future. Tech talent, technology, innovation, and leadership. These four things are at the heart of a new strategic blueprint for manufacturing that Magnet will release later this year. It's built on hundreds of conversations with CEOs, community leaders, change makers, educators, innovators, frankly the people in this room right now, because none of us can do this alone. But if we bring all of our solutions to the table, we can do this together. I started today by saying I would use the rule of four. I shared four facts, four insights, four stories, and four solutions. There's a ton to do. It's not going to be easy, but we have everything. We need to become a global hub for advanced manufacturing in the next decade. That's the bold vision I started with. Let me paint you a picture of what that looks like. Our talent shortage becomes a talent surplus. People are lined up for manufacturing jobs, and we are the capital of manufacturing education in the United States. We put everyone to work. Our plants are as diverse as our cities. Manufacturing is the career of opportunity. It gives more and more people pathways from poverty to prosperity. We lead with ideas. Northeast Ohio is the first choice for manufacturing startups, has one of the highest rates of R&D in the country. We are no longer the rust belt, we are the technology belt. We adopt industry 4.0 10 years before our competition giving us huge productivity, quality, and lead time advantages. And we are powered by partnership, companies and communities working together to solve systemic problems because we all believe that manufacturing is the foundation of our future. I believe we can achieve all of this because we have an unfair advantage. We never give up. And if you don't want to believe me, Believe LeBron James. We all remember his famous quote when he came back to Cleveland. In Northeast Ohio, nothing is given, everything is earned. You work for what you have, I'm ready to accept the challenge. We have earned the right to hope. We have earned the right to be proud. We have earned the right to win. And Northeast Ohio has never walked away from a challenge. So here's my challenge to you. Let's leave this room today and start telling a new story, a story about pride, a story about opportunity. Let's tell everyone who will listen that manufacturing, a new kind of manufacturing, is our future. And then let's get out there and build it and win. Thank you.
3: Ethan, take a seat, join us. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Rick Jackson, senior host and producer at IdeaStream. For the next uh, 18 minutes or so, we're going to talk with this panel about the report today. Thank you, Ethan, for your words and your introduction. As he said, manufacturing is the foundation of our regional economy, and it is growing again. But he pointed out for some significant issues to be dealt with. People wrongly believe manufacturing is still dirty, dark, and dangerous. People think automation is code for replacing people with machines. He mentioned 8,000 open jobs in the region, thousands more predicted. We're falling behind on industry 4.0 adoption and technology, he says, changing more rapidly than we teach. So here today are some industry leaders who are among those Ethan wants to buy into to his vision. We'll talk candidly about the possibilities and the goals that he raised. With me, starting to my side, Andrew Jackson, the CEO of Elson's International. In the center, Joseph Pilella, the VP of operations at Vitamix Corporation. To the left, Carolee Vanacek, the VP of Manufacturing at Temkin Steel Operation Corporation. Welcome them all, please. <laughs> the report tells us that manufacturers in Ohio had a good year in 2019 with increased revenues, that we are cautiously optimistic about 2020. Talk to me about how that translates to companies that you run and have relationships with and why in the area cautiously opti- optimistic
0: may be accurate. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you. Okay, great, thank you. So uh, we are, uh, and I am personally uh, optimistic about 2020, and a lot of that optim- uh, optimism is uh, fueled by innovation. We uh, invested a lot in innovation in 2019 in the in, uh, in form of new products and uh, new processes, and I think that is going to launch us well into uh, 2020, where new products really will be able to help us uh, increase our sales even more than we have in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're bringing new, uh, products to the market, the only gun you have in your bullet is price, right? The new products allows us to be more competitive and to uh, to reinforce our value proposition with our customers.
3: Andrew works at Elson's, Uh, you're a box company, uh, manufacturing and packaging. How does that give you an indicator of how manufacturing as a whole goes?
4: We watch the indicators every day. Uh, If you find that people aren't manufacturing stuff, you don't have a box. And you're not selling the box <laughs> so, I don't I don't make any products. I sell the box that the product goes into. Uh, so I'm constantly looking at large manufacturers to understand what they're doing because when they order boxes, I know the economy's doing well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Left the largest corporation for last. What do you see at Temkin that makes you optimistic?
5: I think that um, the, the markets that I see, our end markets, um, are, are also innovating. We're, we're seeing some growth there. Um, I think one of the things personally with our, with our company right now that I'm, I'm very happy with is we seem to be very focused on efficiency and really driving um, nice lean manufacturing mm-hmm. so that we can serve our customers very well, shorter lead times, that kind of thing. So there's, a, there's definitely a unified effort around that and uh, focus on our customers.
3: Ethan said we're in a manufacturing revolution or renaissance. Do you agree?
5: I do agree. I think for, for a company like Timken Steel Timkins slash Steel, you know, over a hundred years of experience, and sometimes, um, what I've seen is that you get entrenched in the old way of doing things, and um, sometimes that can that can uh, certainly be a hindrance, but. I think that we are definitely focused on innovating our processes, uh, taking advantage of what learning from other companies and learning what other people are doing and really um, forcing that into our operations and not, not necessarily relying on everything that we've, we've known in the past. And I think that's really important in terms of, in terms of a revolution.
3: So these four are optimistic. Hopefully a lot of you are optimistic. At the same time, though, revenue and workforce growth, the report tells us, slowed slightly over 2018. Joe, talent pool is a huge consideration. Retention, competition, both fierce. Challenges are not just Cleveland. They're global.
0: They absolutely are global, and I can tell you we spend way more time than we would want to in our organization trying to uh, figure out the, the talent situation, finding finding good people who want to come to, to work in manufacturing. As you said, Rick, it's, it's got a bad reputation, which isn't really true anymore. Retaining the people that we have, right, making the work challenging and, and rewarding for them. And, and we've tried to do things to, to make sure people understand the difference that they can make in the world by coming to work with us and help. But it's a challenge every day, and uh, we, would be, we would love to have more people on our team if we could find them is our reality. Mm-hmm.
3: Andrew, he said that things are going well because we have an advantage here. What's the advantage?
4: We have uh, great sports teams. <laughs> <laughs> wow, going there already, okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, um, I, I, I spent uh, about 25 years doing high value consulting before I bought a manufacturing company and I've been all over the world. And Cleveland's a great place to live, uh, whether you know it or not. Uh, the cost of living in Cleveland is great. Uh, we do have some sports teams, they may not be great right now, but we're getting there. We'll be there. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can find great neighborhoods to live in, we have a great theater district, it's a great place to live and work. Um, but more importantly, the cost of living here is great, but the workforce that we have here is a workforce that, for me, is geared towards manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people think they have to go to college to, get, to make a good living, you can get into a trade, you can be an electrician, you can be a carpenter. I think manufacturing is a great path for a person who does not necessarily want to go to college and wants to move up in an organization we have people who started at twelve bucks an hour and some of my people are making twenty five bucks an hour so it's a great career path un- unbeknownst to people I think.
3: I'm going to get back to you in a minute on a specific group of people you want to work with. Uh-huh. Carolee, the report says 36 percent of companies are actively innovating how they recruit and who they retain. What am I missing? Where's the disconnect?
5: I think that what, what I see is um, there is a shift and I think we, Ethan talked about it in terms of we, we always have a need for people that work, at, you know, the shop floor. But there is, we are starting recently to um, leverage those people that come in and put them into more technical roles. So I think that the disconnect for me is that people are not coming in prepared for the more technical, the industry 4.0. So I think there is an opportunity to get to people sooner, whether it be middle school even high or high school, to um to get them involved and interested in that type of work or that type of education where they can immediately feed into a manufacturing role and probably a higher paid manufacturing role with that skill set.
3: Dr. Karp, does the study look at the issues of creating a diverse workforce, gender, race, veterans,
2: people with skills outside the norm? We ask about it and people are tremendously open to hiring individuals across every spectrum. Uh, the I would say that the barriers and the disconnect that certain populations of people have are real and I don't think fully known to our manufacturing community and as a community as a whole when we do things like the sector partnership and workforce connect where we're bringing manufacturers in this community to work with all of our workforce service organizations education and eventually get to different populations of people what we find is that the problems with workforce are so multifaceted transportation, awareness, those basic skills that we have to work together in a holistic approach to do what no one company can do. So the willingness is there. And I think if you talk to most people that don't know about manufacturing and you describe what it is, they get excited too. It's putting all the pieces so that we have an at-scale system to recruit, bring people all the way through to be successful, retained employees in great companies like the three up here.
3: You had some aspirational goals at the end of your talk. Are we on board? Is everybody here, do you think, going to buy in
2: and make this one big team of all of us working together? I believe so. And I can't convince every single person of this, but everybody I meet, independent of whether they are doing their own thing independently or not, is working for the betterment of this city and of this region. And I think when they see, and this is the overall message, when they see the importance of manufacturing to our economy and the opportunity and the hope that it can provide for the future, I hope and I believe that they will start directing their energies to at least think in part how whatever they're doing in their business or in their civic role will contribute to making sure that this sector and all the people that could have great wages and a great career in this sector benefit.
3: Joe we talked about a retention a little bit earlier. Yes, we know we're an older market, so retirement has a lot to do with that. But why else are we losing people?
0: Yeah, I think there, I think there's a couple of reasons there. I think one of the, the biggest ones is uh, you know and you know we call it the, uh, the, the millennial factor, if you will, but uh, the younger generation wants to know that the company that they're working for is adding value to society, right and I think most of our companies do that, but we might not spend enough time talking about that, right? And, and making that fact known and, and letting them know at the end of the day, after they've done a hard day's work, that they're making a difference for themselves, for the company, and for the, the people that buy our product. I, th- I think that's a challenge. And I think uh, keeping the work interesting and challenging is, is always tough, right? Uh, people have aspirations about their career and, and where they want to go and so you always have to, you have to really have a, a strategy around your employee base. You know, it has to be many pronged to make sure that you're meeting the needs of your folks and you have a development plan for them and you have career advancement opportunities for them that make them want to come back to work every day.
3: Carly Vanacek, you talk about Timken being a backbone of the community. Long history there. Rich, proud people, sense of pride in what they do. How does that work with this millennial age he talked about where people want a company that's going to charge forward and save the world?
5: Um, I think it works well. I think that um, Timkin, Timkin Steele um, have a long history of being entrenched in the community, doing good things. And that does play into the, 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 the millennial factor that people want to be part of something that is, meaningful. I also think with the, the long history and the long community standing, you've, you've got people that their grandfathers or their grandmothers have worked there, they want to be part of that. They hear all the stories and all the good things that, that, um, that have gone on and they hear about the great things and how meaningful and how proud people were to work there, that they want to continue that. So there's still definitely um, that element that I love, I love to take advantage of, that people are very proud to talk about that and, and want to come work there.
3: Andrew Jackson, talk to me about some other untapped potential to slow that talent gap. Uh, we did a preview of this conversation on the Sound of Ideas yesterday, and it was a stunning number of how many incarcerated people we could put back into the workforce.
4: You want me to talk to me about jail? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. No, I'm just kidding. I am. Um, uh, at, at Elson's, we're proud. We have a reentry program at Elson's. And I see my buddy Jack Schwan over here. We're over in the, the, the Collinwood area. Uh, and we hire people who are ex-offenders. Uh, we have no issue with that. We're not an ex-offender company. I think my buddy at Edwin's, uh, Brandon, uh, does ex-offenders. That's what he does. That's not our core competency. We hire people who have a good story. Uh, when people come out of incarceration, we believe they have a, deserve a chance to have a second chance at life. And uh, so if you have a good story and you tell us what you've done and what you've done to recover, we're glad to hire you. Uh, and there are probably, in this county, at least 2,000 individuals returning every year to our county who are looking for jobs, and if they don't get a job with us, they'll be doing what they do. And I'd much rather be, a, rather be a good neighbor and give them a job or a place to, to go every day, feed their families, give them some benefits, and make them feel good about themselves.
3: Could that work for all manufacturers, many manufacturers?
4: Well, I think uh, what I found is the larger companies that are more institutionalized who feel like you know, we have a, a, a good uh, supply of individuals who want to work for us, why would we pick an individual who has a record as opposed to someone who does not? And I will tell you that I think it works for everybody because if you walk in my facility and I walk you off through the production facility and I ask you who you think is a felon, you'll point out a person who's probably not. And my message to you is they just haven't caught them yet. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, everybody's probably two or three minutes from being a felon in this room at some point in time. The difference is in five minutes you lose your head and you come back to the world before you know you have committed a crime. And so I think it works for everybody if you open your mind to the fact that everybody can make a mistake and that, uh, you know, once they paid their debt to society, they deserve another chance, I think.
3: Ethan, you mentioned that innovation was down, but Magnet just opened the Manufacturing Technology
2: Experience. Can it help? What's it do for the region? At our headquarters, just down the street, the idea is that a lot of these technologies I mentioned are best seen and touched and felt. And I would tell you, when manufacturers come to our building and see these uh, types of equipment, they immediately get it and say, oh, that robot can go there, this machine could be connected here. So it's about touching and feeling, and it's that sort of awareness that we need to bring Uh, throughout Northeast Ohio and all the manufacturers. It's that, but it's also the peer-to-peer interactions that we're talking about up here. It's one thing if I stand here and say collaborative robots are great, but it's way better if up here, if another manufacturer says I use it and here's how it works. We've got to get to that critical mass where there's enough of those companies talking about how affordable these technologies are and how they work for them that we'll get to mass adoption and start seeing some of those future visions of how we can be ahead in this technology. Mm -hmm.
3: I'm going to open up a can of worms because we know that Ohio right now is considering raising the minimum wage from $8.70 to $13 by 2025. A lot of manufacturers think that could crush the bottom line. Joe, I'll go to you first. Is that a frightening proposition?
0: Well, it is and it isn't, right? I mean, at, at, uh, at face value, you start looking at your, your margin eroding, eroding, right? But at the other side of the coin is uh, if we want to build our businesses, if we want to uh, have viable uh, uh, workforce and a, and a continuing workforce. This is what uh, the jobs demand and quite honestly the folks in manufacturing deserve it just like everybody else deserves it so why not.
3: Mm-hmm. Carol you've got a huge number of employees you're above way above the 870 point but is that a consideration? I
5: think it's a consideration in this respect. Again we are well, well paying manufacturing jobs but back to Ethan's point about the, the four times the industry that supports manufacturing it could, Im- it could impact the people that are supporting our operations mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, kind of Joe's point, I think people work hard in manufacturing and, and those support organizations, so why
4: not?
3: I'm fall in line or disagree?
4: Oh, I agree <laughs> okay. that we should, uh, should consider.
3: And when we talked on the phone earlier, you guys had a ton <laughs> to say about this. You're going to leave me out here
6: high and dry. I will. <laughs> yeah, I, will. I, mean, like, I will. I will.
2: I will they couldn't <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I will add to that. I, I, I would say that I think, by and large, you're going to find manufacturers in general don't like any sort of, sort of government interference. Mm-hmm. but yeah. Restrictions. Restrictions, regulations. But that being said, I, I remember a conversation just like this one with a manufacturer that is pulling his, all of his wages up to the $15 an hour mark. And I said, oh, what do you tell to your peers that aren't doing that? And he just looked at me and said, you have to. It's the right thing. And so uh, I I think you'd find, if you surveyed everyone on that particular issue, you'd find some that are paying lower. And you'd find those that are paying lower might say, it's going to hurt my bottom line. It's going to hurt my business. And I think both from a competitiveness standpoint of the industry overall, also it's the right thing to do. I think you're going to see as a form of investment in people, which when you have such a shortage you have to do, everybody's going to start raising those wages for, Pure business reasons or for altruistic society reasons.
3: I got one more question then we'll go to your question so do get ready with those. Andrew, Elson has a three-step process. Think big, start slow, ramp up. How does that apply? Can that philosophy work for anyone who jumps into the manufacturing business world?
4: Oh yeah, I um, I think that uh, what you don't want to do is over promise and under deliver. Uh, that's, a, that's a bad thing and the problem with that is that you'll mess up somebody else's supply chain. And the last thing you want to do is shut down a GM or Ford and get those penalties. So I'd recommend to people, if you're, you're getting into manufacturing, think big, start slow, and then ramp up, because you can be out of business just as fast as you started.
3: Thank you. I'm Rick Jackson, senior host and producer at IdeaStream. Today at the City Club, we are listening to a forum on the state of manufacturing in Ohio. We are featuring Andrew Jackson, the CEO of Elson's International, Ethan Karp, the president and CEO of Magnet, Joseph Pilella, the Vice President of Operations at Vitamix Corporation, and Carolee Vanacek, Vice President of Manufacturing at Timken Steel Corporation. We are about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from anyone, City Club members, guests, students, those of you joining us via the live stream or radio broadcast on 90.3 WCPN. If you would like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club. Our staff will try and work it into the program. Holding the microphones today. Our content and programming coordinator, Bliss Davis, and communications and outreach manager, Julia Wong. Bliss, may we have the first question, please?
2: Thank you. Thank you, uh, first of all, to our panel and to Ethan. Um, my name is Grant Markwood. I'm with EDGE. and. Um, This question might be a tough one, but I know you can all address it. If, um, as it states in this uh, pamphlet here, manufacturing is such a driver of society, how can the manufacturing community be a little more proactive in tackling some of the grand challenges that we face from wealth disparity to the climate crisis and uh, mass extinction of plant and animal species, especially given the current anti-regulatory environment, and still uh, create great value for themselves and for our region?
3: Anybody want to go first, or can I pick somebody? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, I, and I thought that I had the tough problem. Yeah, I, I had a tough one. Uh,
3: Carole, you want to jump in there? <laughs> <laughs> great I, I, great I, really I, I think for me, this
5: is to me. I feel like this is an easy answer, um, just from 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 my perspective and in, in, in my company, that we have um, we we are committed to being environmentally responsible. Those kind of things. We are. We are committed to to um, giving a fair wage for the, for the work that people are doing. Um, we we measure ourselves every single day on um, safety and the environmental factors like waste. How much how much are we sending to a landfill? Everybody should know that number. People in our company know that, so we do focus on on things like that. We are we do work very well with regulatory agencies to make sure that we are we are in compliance or ahead of compliance. So I think, for, for me, that's an easy answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it necessarily addresses all your questions, but I think we are a socially responsible company and we continue to try to operate that way. Good.
4: jump in. We're, we're, we're probably one of the smaller companies up here of the three on the panel. Uh, and we have to think of new ways to create value to stay in business. And so we have a huge green initiative at our company. We, we've moved into returnables. Returnables are a big thing now that people don't want to use corrugated because it's, it's, it messes up the the environment. And so we have returnables in our facility where you can take up a particular product, you can use it, send it off to your supplier, they send it back to you, and you can use it 12 times. We've also created something called a uh, corrugated pallet, which replaces wood. And so for people who have ever had to use pallets and wood, you know, they, you get them in your facility, you pile them up in your backyard, you beg somebody to come get them, and nobody wants to come get them, and they pile up, keep piling up. We have a, I have a friend, though, who does a, has a good business of come to get them, but we have a, a, a corrugated pallet, which is all, all, all corrugated materials, but it's recyclable and it weighs less and all of that. And so we're trying to, because of where our business is, we have to be innovative in that, and we have to do some green things. You want to jump in or should I move on?
0: Well, I might as well. Right? So, uh, <laughs> okay. I want to, don't want to position myself as not being interested in the topic. <laughs> uh, but I agree with Carolee and Andrew. The, point, the points they made are right. I can tell you, with Vitamix, right, we make a product, a premium product that lasts forever. Nothing more sustainable. Forever. than that. That's Forever lasts <laughs> forever. Nothing, nothing more sustainable than that. Health and wellness is a is a big part of our of our mission on what we're trying to accomplish uh, with our product and really trying to improve the the zest for life for everyone that, that uh, can have access to us. So those are all elements of sustainability, and, and we feel strongly about them.
3: Thank you. Next question. Hi. My name is David Glasner, superintendent of the Shakerite City School District. I'm here along with a few other representatives from our school district. Uh, you briefly mentioned uh, what schools can do. I'd like to hear a little more about what can public schools and schools in general do to help with uh, providing a pipeline for manufacturing in this region. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
2: Is that for ethan I'm let's perfect. make it for ethan i'm happy to <laughs> happy to answer that so there's a huge range of things education particularly in the high school and 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 lower grades uh is so important here and the thing is the range of things that can be done are enormous one end of the spectrum it's just simply awareness and i don't think it's enough to say okay let me have a speaker come in and tell you about manufacturing that's good i think a plant tour is better but Even those one-offs are not enough because you go further in the spectrum, having a truly integrated career pathway program where every student coming in is being shown the wide range of things that they can become as they graduate, this is where the real meat is at. Because I know that if somebody, you know, you can all think of when was the time that you stopped or your kids stopped thinking that trucks and stuff were cool. Right? That's probably the age when you have to start convincing kids that, oh, they are still cool. But if you stop there and you don't go all the way through and then go the other end of the spectrum, have programs where you can intern, you can co-op, you can apprentice in high school, that's the real opportunity to say, we've shown you what this career is. Now we can get a company to actually invest in you as you're going through high school. So when you leave high school, you now have the perfect opportunity to say, do I want this career? Do I want this career plus college? I don't think it's an either or scenario at all. I think going to your community college, getting your two year degree while you're working with tuition reimbursement is an ideal state for a future workforce that continues to learn and love learning so they can continue using 10 years technology from now and know how to use it. So it's that learning continuum and the more we can bring manufacturing, all of those experiences I just mentioned to students, the better. Start small, go up but definitely thinking big in terms of how we integrate manufacturing into all of our schools.
3: Thank you. And trucks are still cool. (laughs) (laughs) One, education. If we could work together and make us the best school systems in the country, that would attract attract young couples. The best schools in the country, number one. Number two, how about going to county government, learning from the city of Columbus, Ohio, how that opened up all kinds of Opportunities, and then the people that graduate Cleveland schools try to entice them to stay in Cleveland. Three things. Okay.
2: (laughs) Anyone? I I think those are all great. I, I, I also think that manufacturing communities. This is one thing to know: the talent shortage in these issues. No one in the country has figured this out. That's another reason why I'm hopeful is I think we can figure it out. I think we have enough commitment across the community to figure out how to make sure that we have that prepared workforce. And I agree with you, the strength of our manufacturing uh, community does depend on the strength of our education system, not just for the career awareness. but. Of course, these are much more technical jobs, as Carolee was mentioning, than they ever have been before. So this is a job that requires competence and uh, training as much as it's requiring the commitment to do the work.
3: The 600-plus companies you mentioned that you surveyed for this report, how many of them ticked education as a box we need
2: to underscore? In their desired ways that they are in interacting with the education system, like 50% of them are in some way interacting with the education system, be it high school or working with their local colleges. So manufacturers understand that getting involved is required. I think it needs to go up a few notches. Folks here are doing it. Folks in the sector partnership are doing it. But long term, we need a lot more of it.
3: Thanks. Question here?
0: Yeah. uh, For those uh, manufacturers who have operations in both Northeast Ohio and outside of Northeast Ohio. Uh, how do you compare the operations? Are, does does Northeast Ohio have advantages over the others, disadvantages? Or are they the same?
5: I, I can answer. I that. was hoping you would. <laughs> I figured that's you are the largest firm here. So, yeah, that's it. You know, we have two, two smaller plants, um, one local. One located in, near the Indiana border in Ohio and one in North Carolina. And I would tell you from um, a recruitment and retention of the workforce, it is much easier to do that in northeast Ohio. And when you talk about, you know, that's one of the things that we've had to do is when you talk about collaborative robots and things like that, we, we've we had to go to, the, to that out of the necessity because we cannot fill these jobs or we fill them and somebody leaves in two weeks so it's it's much easier in, in terms of mm-hmm. retention recruiting and retention in northeast ohio
2: that's my opinion
3: thank you next question
2: hi uh, cindy fisher with eaton corporation we uh you know obviously we're a global company we've been around for about 100 years Uh, And so we've been talking a lot about the impact that culture has on driving more innovation, on creating a space where talent want to be. Can you talk a little bit about where you're focusing there and some things that you might be doing as you think about culture of how we behave as well as how we're working, um, specifically with manufacturing? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I could start there. So so corporate culture, I I think you're asking, right? Yeah, company culture. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's, it's a very important thing for us. We spend a lot of time talking about it. You know, we have we have values that we try to weave into everything that we do in our business. Decisions that we make, the way we interact with customers, the way we interact with our employees. They're all founded within the values of our company. And, you know, the, the values are those that anyone would share. You know, quality, uh, family, uh, integrity, right? Uh, customers, right? They're all good, strong uh, values, and our, and our uh, president and CEO really encourage us all the time, when you have a tough decision to make, weigh them up against your values as a company, right? And if you're following your values, you're going to do the right thing more often than not. So for me, working for Vitamix, it is very easy because the company values mimic my personal values. No one ever asked me to do anything that uh, I, I struggle with from an integrity standpoint.
4: Um, we, uh, I have this thing that I think is very important in a culture, it's called respect for the individual. And oftentimes, when you're in a manufacturing facility, there's a back office function, a front office function, and the manufacturing people are in the middle. And I tell my people, when you go to the facility, make sure you just say hi to the person who's running the machine. Just say, spend, spend double your time in talking to them. Instead of spending 30 seconds, spend a minute with them. And say, how you doing today? Because in my place, seventy five percent of my business is in manufacturing and the other twenty five percent is in back office. So I think that it's very important that you treat people with respect regardless of whether they are in your food chain and your business and that the people who do manufacturing for you show them how important they are too. It's Last thing important. you want in the
3: company is in us versus them. Yeah. Sam?
5: I agree. I, I think that's great advice is when you get out and get out get out to see the people that work on the floor and make sure you're talking to them. Mm-hmm. Make okay. them part of the company.
2: I I would also say if I had one piece of advice that if somebody said out of this what do you do differently it's focusing on culture the investment in your people is prerequisite before you're gonna get new people into your company and you can have all the technology in the world if you don't have people that are working because they want to work there and coming there you're not gonna produce anything we can talk about manufacturing running on machines it runs on people there's some questions back in this area too for the folks with the mics
3: where is my next question coming from yes here hey good afternoon i'm tim angbrandt with ang marketing group and a question i have for the panel is what is your opinion about applying lean tools to existing capacity to not to lay off people but to reduce the need in terms of quantity for future workforce as another tool to address that workforce issue
0: joe yeah thank you. <laughs> I was, was going to jump out of my seat in so actually we are a, we are a lean manufacturing organization uh, and our lean system is founded on doing more with less right and uh, we when we began our lean journey, we were at a time where our business was in a tremendous growth pattern, and we had the advantage of telling all of our employees lean isn't about job elimination which it never should be it's about being able to accomplish more with our current workforce and eliminating waste and be able to increase our capacity right with the team that we have and uh, we're using lean concepts in manufacturing we're using them in engineering we're using them around our business now to really create agility and build capacity and allow us to do more with what we have so I'm on board
3: you think you're cutting edge, or do you think more companies are coming to that line of thinking?
0: Well, you'd always like to think you're, you're cutting edge, but uh, we were late to the game ourselves, quite honestly. But we, I can tell you, it's a priority for our operations team, and we, uh, and we, uh, all of our, all of our goals and all our initiatives as a operations function are driven by our, our lean thinking. And quite honestly, I'm not sure how a company could be successful without it.
3: Okay. Try and squeeze in a couple more questions over here
0: question over there then
1: hi I'm Michelle Scott Taylor I'm with college now greater Cleveland great job great job Ethan Uh, my question is going back a little bit to education and trying to be innovative and forward-thinking is there any consideration to perhaps offering paid internships or opportunities for students who might be younger typically what we find is when we introduce young people to manufacturing they're not really able to even get experience because of laws, which are probably needed, but has there been any thought or could there be some thought around how we can, one, bring awareness to young people about the field, but also for the community that we serve primarily, offering paid internships so they don't have to make the sacrifice between working in other types of jobs and maybe getting the exposure to manufacturing?
2: Hmm. Emphatically, yes. In fact, one of the programs, and it's highlighted in the report if you pull it out, that we're working on uh, at Magnet is, we call it Early College of the Career, to do just that at 16, 17, having kids actually get onto shop floors, do learning work, but also productive work. This is the European model. Uh, We couple that actually with going to LCCC or going to Tri-C, so they also get college credit in those topics that they're interning for, basically. So it is an apprentice. The 16-year-olds can get onto shop floors, there's no laws against it. I think some heavy machinery like big stamping presses and stuff like this, that's a no-no. But most of the things that uh, companies would have, and I would say the experience of most of the companies that have gone through this has been uh, very positive from an understanding of really getting kids excited about doing this work, and even getting them to do productive things. It's not just, you know, this isn't an altruistic charity thing. This This is a future person who can rise up in my company. I see Laurie from uh, Lock nodding, who has been part of this program, nodding next to you. So,
3: Thank you all. He's Ethan Karp, the president and CEO of Magnet. Caroly Vanacek is the vice president of manufacturing at Timken Steel. Joseph Palella is the vice president of operations at Vitamix. Andrew Jackson, CEO of Elson's International. I'm Rick Jackson. Let's turn it over to Dan Malthrop.
6: Could everyone please give Rick Jackson a round of applause. And I thank our panelists as well. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here, and we've been listening to a forum on the state of manufacturing in Ohio. This forum today was presented in partnership with Magnet, and we're deeply grateful to Magnet for the opportunity to partner with you. Um, And I also want to thank our sponsors of our Workforce Development Series, that's the Deaconess Foundation and the Cuyahoga Community College Foundation. We have representatives from Magnet, Tri-C, and, of course, Deaconess with us today. Thank you all very much for joining us and for your support of City Club Programming. Additionally, we welcome guests at tables hosted by Bank of America, Huntington Bank, Manufacturing Works, and PNC. We're happy to have all of you here. That brings us to the end of our forum. Thank you panelists, thank you Rick, thank you members and friends of the City Club, and special thanks to our City Club members who make our work possible. To find out more about City Club and how you can support our programs or see more programs, visit us at cityclub.org. Have a great day, have a great weekend. Thank you so much.
0: For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club Forums on Ideastream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated